You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Thank you again for joining. I'm a pretty active member in Peak, so maybe folks have seen me attending other events, but let's start off with an introduction. My name is Kelly Owen Grover. I am the head of global marketing for Taconic Biosciences. We are a super cool company. We provide animal models to drug discovery researchers all over the world. So we have conversations that most folks will never have, but it's really cool. It's a very cutting edge area, very integral to drug discovery. And so there's probably not a person on this call that hasn't been touched by something that we've done in our close to 70 years of being a company. So that is a very brief introduction. I am going to deliberately leave it very brief because I'm actually going to circle back to a bit more about my history later on in the presentation. So if you guys want to know more about me, you got to stay tuned. All right. So what are we talking about today? So when you guys signed up for this, this was the title that you saw. And this is the other flywheel, which for me is the relationship between product sales and marketing. And it's not to say that any other flywheel in our lives is any less important, but really conceptualizing that relationship as a feedback loop has been transformational and not just in my current position, but in pretty much every position I have had throughout my career. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So this was the question, Eden, when we were prepping, I said I had an open-ended question that I can just throw as a hypothetical, but it would be really, really interesting and fun if we could have some sort of interaction. And the question is, who owns strategy? And so I don't know if folks are comfortable coming off of mute or if you want to throw something in the chat, whatever you're comfortable with. But I certainly don't want to answer this question all by myself. I would love to hear from folks on the call today. Okay. It looks like we've got some people in the chat. I see CEO, the top, everyone, everyone, everyone owns strategy, the whole team, everyone. Okay. So the chat's, the chat's got kind of a consensus that everyone or each department should align to the company agenda. Great answers there. Should be aligned from the top and everyone should be aligned. Nice. Nice. I'm liking it. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. And what we would expect, right? So why do I ask this? So my answer is no one, and I'm not saying that that's the right answer, but I'm throwing it out there because I think this is a really common situation and we're going to walk through why that is. So like folks just said in the chat, right? Regardless of who does or doesn't own it, you can't execute strategy alone, right? This is a top-down horizontal exercise that if you're really going to be successful, everybody has to buy into it. And so those action items are shared by the entire company. If it is one person, now you have a single point of failure, right? And what if they don't do anything? What if there is no strategy? What if there's a strategy, but it's not actionable? What if there's no delegation, right? So having one person truly own this, put yourself in a potentially compromising situation. What if they leave, right? That happens. And one person is not the same as having a strategy, right? And everybody has read or heard about these really charismatic business leaders that transform a company 
And that doesn't mean that they didn't, but a person isn't the same as a strategy and it doesn't matter how smart they are, right? You need to operationalize whatever that genius is that they're bringing to the company. And leadership is about empowerment, right? So even again, if you've got a really strong executive team, if they're not empowering others to execute on that strategy, you're missing out on an opportunity, but delegating strategy is really, really difficult, right? You can delegate tactics all day long. We can all do that, right? But delegating strategy is really tricky. Silos, right? So how can we possibly have a top-down strategy like folks mentioned in the chat if each department is acting independently? That doesn't even make any sense, right? And overall, you need a process. We need to operationalize strategy. So I know I'm showing a lot of kind of negative stuff. I promise we'll get to the point where we put this to a positive, right? Otherwise, this whole talk is going to be a bust. But I did want to throw out this concept of really the risk of having one person own strategy and what us as marketers can do to overcome that. I'll pause for a minute. I don't. I can see stuff coming through the chat, Eden. If there's anything that we want to address now, just let me know. Kelly, just overall question, and you might get, get into it a little bit later. When you say no one can do it alone, no silos, need a process, and I'm curious here if anybody else, because there's a lot of folks who are CMOs and VPs and directors of marketing on this call. Is that a, the big, is that the big challenge, really, that, that people don't really have a full grasp of what the strategy is, and therefore, no one owns it, therefore, not that there can be one person. Like, so I'm just curious, like when you say that, I think it's a, it's a deep thought that you're putting in there. And I'm just trying to think through, why is that? It's a really good question. And so an upcoming slide, I do talk about how it yeah. manifests, I think in a lot of different ways, because it's not just one, right? I think there, this is kind of different symptoms of a common disorder, right? And it doesn't mean that there you can't have fantastic people at the top who are very strategic. My goal with this kind of thought-provoking question is even if you have that, I've routinely seen, I'm going to say a, a vacuum or a gap in taking strategic ideas, great, or maybe more in their infancy and turning it into something that is actionable. And that is where I see marketing really having a big role to play. Yeah, yeah. I see Dale's comment in there. Well, a lot of time the comp plan does not align to the strategy for all the players. So, mm -hmm. yep. Yep. And just echoing what folks were saying earlier, right? We need structure so that it can be owned by the entire company. It certainly isn't going to happen by accident, right? You have to create, I'm going to use the word continuously, operationalize. You have to operationalize your company to empower that to happen. And so this is to your point, Sangram, tell me if, if I end up kind of missing your question by the time we get done with this list here, but does any of this sound familiar? And it doesn't mean all of these have to apply, but I would say if any of them apply, then now, now we've got something to talk about. So maybe you have a fantastic strategy. Maybe everybody's bought in, but it's not actionable. And maybe it could be, right? But you just haven't taken the steps to kind of operationalize it down past the executive team, or maybe it truly isn't actionable. We have these fantastic strategy sessions or offsites, which are so inspirational and everybody does all the right things, right? Those whiteboard brainstorming sessions, you capture all of those flip chart notes. And then all of a sudden you come back and it's like, where'd the flip chart go, right? Like it's tucked under somebody's desk or it's up on a shelf. 
you never end up translating that fantastic brainstorming into something actionable. Opportunity cost of misalignment, right? So this goes back to this concept of silos. So if there isn't top-down buy-in, then you've got individual departments working off their own playbook. And man, what an opportunity cost, right? And I think sales and marketing runs into this maybe more often than even other departments because we have the same goal, right? We have the same target audience. There's so much benefit to coming together and saying, well, gosh, I need money for this initiative. Do you still need that much money, right? Or can we do some horse trading in service of a greater aligned goal? And this kind of ties into that same concept, right? If we're working in silos, we're certainly missing some efficiencies. And this run rate trap is an interesting concept and, and I'll describe it and then maybe pause to see if anybody else runs into this, but it certainly happened to me throughout my career where you get a departmental budget and it's that same bucket of money every year, maybe with like a little bump, right? Everybody's going to get 3% more. And so you're in this run rate trap of, well, here's your bucket. It doesn't really matter what your departmental strategy is. It doesn't really matter what the corporate strategy is. You're just kind of in this run rate trap, I think really is the right word, right? And so if you haven't had those higher level strategic conversations where you could properly advocate for more or less money or resource redistribution, then you're going to stay in that trap. And all of this really, to me, has led to a focus on revenue, which is a distraction from value creation, right? And that's the stuff that really leads to exponential growth and ultimately empowers you to take those big swings, right? If everybody's working within their own department against their own portion of the revenue goal, it makes it really difficult to break out and say, well, I want to do something bigger. I think we can really move the needle if we do X, Y, Z. And honestly, I've seen this impact corporate culture, right? We don't want to miss this side of it. And it's not fun, right? If things aren't efficient, obviously there's a business detriment there, but there's also a people detriment. I mean, for folks that have worked in a company where everything is aligned and things are humming and you can have those open conversations, it's a lot of fun, right? And there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of excitement. So let me pause for a minute, Sangram, I'll bounce it back to you. This is the slide I was talking about. Does this address your question from earlier? Totally, see it all the time. So where am I going with this, right? Why am I as a marketer sitting here talking five slides in about strategy? What I have seen is marketing is really an undepartment. And what I mean by that is we as a department are uniquely positioned to drive corporate strategy simply by the type of department that we are. So I see marketing as a discipline. It is something to be studied. It has structure. It is dynamic. It's evolving in ways that I just don't see being as common within either sales or product or even in a lot of, you know, kind of any other corporate business discipline, right? It's just inherent to who we are. And we're going to talk about that a little bit down the road. But that's what I mean by the undepartment, right? If we think of ourselves as marketers or marketing as just kind of one pillar, I think we're missing a huge opportunity. So let's keep going and we'll talk about what I mean. So this is what marketing does, right? This is our whole world. We're looking for opportunities within our market. Then we're looking at ways that we can align our company around addressing those opportunities and then we do the analysis, right? We decide, is it working? Is it not working? How do we need to iterate or evolve? 
And when you think about it like that, it's like, well, wait a minute, is this the description of a department or is this a description of how you run a successful business? And I would argue it's more the latter, right? It's using marketing principles to really drive corporate strategy. So here's the other flywheel and why is this so important? So this could be a relay race, right? This could be a flat line where you are just simply passing the baton from one department to another. And that's not how you make things happen. It's not how you really make great decisions. And it certainly isn't how you impact corporate strategy. It's a feedback loop. It's a feedback loop, one, because it has to be, and two, because it really should be. And we'll talk about why that's true. The go-to-market plan demands alignment, right? No one can go it alone, like we said a couple of slides ago. Marketing can't act without product. Sales can't act without marketing, so on and so forth. But even more specific dogma like account-based marketing forces alignment, right? And that's one of the really lovely things about ABM is you're aligning on things like your ideal customer profile. You're aligning on things like your target accounts. And that becomes the glue that brings everybody together. But ABM is a marketing discipline, right? So what a perfect example of here's a marketing discipline, something that's very structured, bringing value, not just to the go-to-market, but really for the entire company. And just as a silly example, just to think about this, you know, everybody knows the four P's of marketing, right? Price, place, promotion, and product. This is like, you know, as old as time, very foundational concept. But I, I chose it because it's the four P's of marketing, but take price, for example. Well, price isn't something that marketing chooses on its own, right? That's in collaboration with our product colleagues who have a P&L to own or sales who has to justify the value. Same thing with promotion, right? How we brand this, how we message it. If you're not talking to your sales team about the right type of language to use and the right channels and what's working, then it's always going to be less than what it could be, right? And so I love that example because it's so foundational, right? And it seems so simple. Well, it's a four piece of marketing. Marketing does this. But if you really picture this as a flat baton pass, man, what a mess, right? Or even to the point where marketing shouldn't be deciding some of this stuff on our own. All right, so I promised I would talk a little bit more about my history. So look at this picture, how cute. I figured if we were gonna go back in time, I'd really go back in time. So we actually had a fun corporate um, culture thing a couple months ago where everybody replaced their background image with a picture from their childhood. So I had this on hand. We're not gonna go that far back in time. Why am I talking about my history though? So I started in sales, loved it, loved the relationships, loved that concept of trust, loved that concept of my whole job is bringing value to someone who's trying to run their business better. And if I do that successfully, I'll be successful, right? That's all I really have to do. But impact really was limited without some tie back to marketing. And I was in several different sales roles where the marketing at the company just was in its infancy. It wasn't that anybody was deficient. It just wasn't there yet. And it really impacted what we could do. And so I actually started migrating further upstream. And I was excited about marketing. I love it. Moved further upstream to really get a handle 
on the marketing side of things because I realized, gosh, I'm only going to be, you know, this successful without something behind me that really distills value into something that people can appreciate. So I did. I went from sales and I moved upstream into marketing. Loved it. Loved it for all the reasons why we're in marketing, right? It's so impactful. You have such a voice, right? You're bringing your voice to the market. But then I kind of had that same situation happen again, where here I am in marketing. I'm in the thing that I always wanted, right? I'm upstream giving my sales team everything that they need to be successful. But gosh, if I was more aligned with my product colleagues, I could amplify this once again, right? We were acting like a relay race. I had people passing batons to me. And sometimes when they pass the baton, I'm like, I don't get it. This doesn't seem strategic or gosh, we could have helped more if I was at the front of the process with you guys. Gosh, what a missed opportunity. And that now brings me to where I am today with the feedback loop where we have created a structure within our company that not only empowers this, but really has operationalized this. So, and we're gonna talk about the specific tactics that you guys can take to do that for yourself. So here it is, this is what I'm really encouraging people to do, right? So for me, it was starting all the way over to the right in a sales career and then moving into marketing and then realizing even when I was within marketing and loved it, that I could be even more impactful if I got more closely aligned with my product colleagues. So there's gonna be a call to action at the end, but honestly, this is, this is what I would encourage people to really think about if you were developing a product, you would think about the upstream and downstream value chain. Do that here, right? Think of this as your value chain and think downstream and upstream and how you interact with your go-to-market colleagues. I see a ton of stuff coming into chat, Eden. Any questions that we need to pause for? There was actually a great point that I kind of called out from Matt and he said, a lot of times, which you might get into this later in the presentation, so stop me if you do, but he says many times the no one owns or everyone owns strategy turns into no one taking the lead to create a shared understanding. And then individuals begin to doubt their understanding of it and the priority. So I think that's a great point is it's like, if everyone owns strategy, is that a fluffy term for no one really owns it? And there's no like central vision. There's no one to take and to take the lead from what does that actually look like in an organization for everyone to own strategy? So I will pause on that one because I think that's a really good point, right? I think there's things that I'm talking about here that could feel very warm and fuzzy as opposed to like, how do you do this in real life? And I think that's a good one. So I think it depends on, on your specific situation. What I would say, and this has been my personal experience, is if there is that vacuum, right? If there is anything on that list, whether it's a strategy, no strategy, or just the action plan, move into that vacuum, move into that leadership vacuum and use the toolkit that is inherent to us as marketers to do that. There was a previous peak presentation, maybe about a month or two ago, about the difference between a VP of marketing and a CMO. I, this is it, right? This is not waiting for somebody to hand something down to you and say, just execute the marketing piece of this strategy. This is, if there's anything on that checklist earlier that you guys are seeing, step into it. How you step into it, again, that's where I'm going with, that might be different on a case-by-case -case basis, right? There might be actual open positions or it could just be kind of a leadership opportunity. But regardless, 
step into it. And I'll, I'll share just a personal anecdote for me that's literally happening right now. And that is we're looking to evolve our go-to-market strategy at Taconic right now. I've got the best senior vice president of sales on the planet. I love this person. I trust him. He's a fantastic leader. And he kind of had started thinking about like, well, gosh, you know, I see things changing in our industry. I want to move sales closer to aligning with how the industry is changing, but I don't know how to do it yet. You know, what do you think from a marketing standpoint? And we got on a call and I had already started socializing account-based marketing. So he knew what I meant by that. And I was like, here you go. Here's the framework. We need our ideal customer profile based on past and future anticipated revenue. We need to identify the criteria for what accounts we're going to target. You need to realign your sales team around who's best equipped to serve those ideal customers and who are we going to deprioritize. Then we need to align it with marketing around areas of focus. Ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. I share that story because it's real. It's real. It's a real example of fantastic, brilliant, conceptual idea from someone who's at the top of their game, but leveraging that discipline, that format, that rigor that is inherent to a lot of marketing to bring structure to it, right? And we are crafting a whole new go-to-market document literally as we're speaking. It's the thing I'm going to do after I get off the call with all of you guys, but it was incredible to see what the marketing brought to that conversation. So I'll pause for a minute. Certainly welcome thoughts or, or follow-on questions if, if folks have them. Yeah, Kelly, I'm curious as Dale. I So that's all good stuff. I think it happens not enough. So I'm curious, how often do you refresh that, that go-to-market messaging, ICP, et cetera? Yeah, it's a good point. So one of the things I'm gonna talk about in a little bit, this is my two cents, It's not a revolution, it's an evolution, right? So part of creating that engine and that operationalizing of your process makes this a continuous conversation. So to your specific question, Dale, are we blowing up everything like every six months? Like, of course not, right? But in the five five years that I've been at Taconic, when I look in the rear view mirror of where we've gone in five years, it's a completely different company. It's a completely different go-to-market strategy. So what I would, I my two cents to that answer is my hope is that you never get to the point where you have to totally blow something up because you've been constantly iterating. But even if you do, even if you have those big light bulb moments, you've created a structure that allows you to do that. And you've created a language and a common purpose that allows you to do that and facilitates the conversation, right? So to use my example, I had already been dripping account-based marketing to everybody who was willing to listen for like the past six months. So when I had my moment, right? When it's like, hey, we need structure. What do you think? It was like, boom, here it is. And I really didn't have to sell anybody on it, right? So I think it's a, it's a little bit of both, in my opinion, like drip the big ideas over time, create your structure, your safety net, so that you can feel empowered and comfortable taking those big swings, but don't wait for the big swings, right? You can make a huge difference by iterating continuously over time. Yeah, I I, I actually think that you have to do it sooner rather than later. Not not blow everything up, but too many executives that I've seen, or too many organizations I've seen, they like have this big kumbaya session, and then like they put it like in a uh, folder and it sits on the shelf, and then 
the market changes. Like I see, I, I'm in sales, so I, I run sales teams, but sales is changing every six months. It's, it's like insane how fast things are changing and companies just don't change that fast. And so if you, if you don't wake up every morning trying to put yourself out of bed, uh, out of work, like someone's going to put you out of business. So I think you have to kind of look at it more, more often than not, and maybe over, over index on that, just mm -hmm. so that you're, you're not caught from behind. That's my opinion on it. I love that. I love that. And I think it's a good nuance, right? So I guess my thought is maybe we're saying the same thing in the sense that you can iterate every single day, right? But to say that you're going to blow something up every single day is kind of shooting for the moon past what's realistic, right? So it's if you're constantly reevaluating and making those tweaks that when you do need to shoot for the moon, it isn't such a big leap. Yeah, one of the things that I've, that I've seen is, and I kind of tried to get at it with, with my comment, is a situation where with without the full strategy, not just go-to-market strategy, but the, the entire strategy of the company and kind of where the company is headed. It, I've seen kind of like, hey, here's where we're at and here's where we want to go, but nobody really saying, and there's the path we're going to take to get there, right? And so it turns into kind of this feeling of kind of like you're, you know, I, I kind of think the baseball analogy, right? You got the, the three guys out in the outfield, they all run to the center, they're all ready to catch the ball and everybody thinks that somebody else's ball to catch and so it just drops, right? And so yeah. I do find myself kind of in a spot where, where when you see that happen, you have to step forward and do it. And I, I see that, you know, I kind of reacted to your no one owns and everyone owns strategy. And I think it's that marketing is in a position to take the leadership on strategy. Everyone owns the strategy, but somebody needs to jump forward and take the leadership on it, at least put together the straw man for what that means, what it is that, that there is, because otherwise, what happens is people start to doubt their understanding of the strategy. And then they step back even further as they start to think that they're going to overstep their bounds by putting themselves forward and say something about the strategy. And it's, and that, and it starts to open that hole even further. I couldn't agree more, Matt, on, on everything that you said, right? I, I think there is an opportunity to step forward, which I think is a perfect segue. So let me click through this because I'm with you. So, from a marketing standpoint, this is what we do, right? We measure and react to market opportunity. We understand what our customers value. We're ensuring that that brand promise delivers on that value. We can be, to your point, Matt, we can be that hub that brings everything together with regards to what we do and how we do it. So wait a minute, that's not really a department anymore, right? That's where you can push your influence outside of just being a support structure, right? besides just being a department, besides just being somebody who grabs the baton. And just before we launch into how to actually make this happen, the specific actions that I would recommend, I did want to highlight that, you know, so many really celebrated business books say something very similar to this. So one that we have all been forced to read at Taconic because it's a fantastic book is called Developing Products in Half the Time, all around getting aligned upfront, right, where your investment time, money, or otherwise it's minimal, right? Get it right before you start marching downstream. Blue ocean strategy, classic about thinking in upstream, downstream, and aligning. Jim Collins, good to great, built to last, are all about this. 
outside of the literature, just the fact that more CMOs are becoming CEOs, I think really speaks to this trend as well and the need for that structure. One uh, Harvard Business Review professor, Felix oberholzer he and I were talking and I just happened to ask him, he consults all the time. And I was like, what's your first step when you're consulting somebody on corporate strategy? And he said, value mapping. I mean, that's that's what we do as marketers, right? This is how you you take some of these first steps forward. Oh, and there's this other book that maybe folks have heard of that's all around getting alignment when it comes to the go-to-market strategy. So had to throw that in at the end. Okay, so we've talked about it in theory. Let's kind of get down to brass tacks, right? How do we actually do this? So I saw this quote by Nigel Laws on LinkedIn recently, and I thought it was worth grabbing. He was talking about the digital transformation, but this is really how I would say it if I was talking about what we're discussing today. And that is what you're trying to accomplish is being a business that can continuously change. It's a journey. There's no transformation and you're done. It's a constantly evolving process. And so this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Dale, right? And please tell me if, if I'm off base with what you were saying, but evolution versus revolution. Revolutions are daunting, right? Like it just is overwhelming. I haven't ever really seen a revolution plan that's tactical, which you, you need to be tactical. You need specific action items, right? But evolutions can be actionable. It's just a sequence of logical next steps that you guys can map out. And the discipline that's inherent to marketing really allows you to do that. So for me, there's three keys to success here. There's process, there's data, and there's engagement. And I'm going to break down each of them. So let's start with process. This sounds so silly, but truly this has like been one of the most important things on this journey. You need something to point to, to evolve, right? So I don't know about you guys, I've had more conversations than I care to think about where it's like, well, we need to evolve whatever, this strategy, this process, how we're doing, fill in the blank. And it's like, well, where is it written down? And then you kind of have that awkward moment where everybody's looking at each other like, it isn't, it's historical knowledge, right? We just tell people when someone joins a company, we just tell them that's how we do this. You have to write stuff down, right? Even if it's not perfect, write it down because it's not perfect so that you can evolve it and get it closer to perfect. But none of that happens if it's not captured. One of the things that Jim Collins talks about in Built to Last is being a clock builder and not a time teller. So I think it's somewhat self-explanatory, but it's the idea if you're constantly having to tell people something or push people to engage, that's not sustainable, right? That's not operationalizing. And it's not something that builds engagement where if you create this framework, this clock building, people buy into it and they can be much more empowered and self-sufficient. On another peak conversation recently, I heard somebody talk about this concept and I loved it. The idea of an SLA between departments, right? Having a documented understanding of what we expect of one another. I think that's fantastic. And overall, it's to create operating mechanisms, right? So the process stands even as maybe people come and go, right? The process is what keeps it moving forward. No one particular person. Kelly, I'm, I'm curious about oh, yeah. the, SL, the SLAs between departments. Like I've been in the sales game for a long time. And one of the reasons why I joined Peak is because I'm super curious on marketing and just yeah. like rounding the game out. But it, it's so weird to me that like we need to put SLAs, like aren't we humans and aren't we in the same process and aren't we going after the same like pieces and parts? Like 
we have to write SLAs down between like sales and marketing so that we can get people to act in the way that they should be acting to run a business. It's, it's bizarre to me. I know I'm, I'm with you. I know what you're saying. And I, I definitely have been in conversations where it's like, oh my gosh, we have to write this down. Right. But I'll give you an example. So we just refreshed our go-to-market document, which is the thing that we hand our sales team when we're launching something. And one of the initial kind of pieces of pushback that we got when we initially launched it was, well, this is all about what sales do, is doing. What is marketing doing? Are you guys not doing your thing anymore? And I kind of had this moment. I'm like, why would you guys think that we're all going on vacation just because we're giving you more structure for what your expectations are? But it was a good light bulb moment, right? And, and I think that's a good example of an SLA. So for us, when we launch something, it's here's the sales expectations, right? Outreach or whatever the case may be. Here's all of the other stuff that marketing is doing to support you. One for visibility, two, so you can leverage it, right? If there's content that we're creating and it really did make a big difference. It created, I think, a joint set of expectations that everybody bought into. It's just, a, I, I, I'm curious where the sales leadership is. If marketing's asking for these SLAs, it's like, isn't sales respond like isn't the sales leadership responsible for the SLAs and not the individual salespeople? Like, it's just it's inter it's interesting to me. Maybe I'm off. Maybe I'm confused. But so we create these in conjunction with our sales leadership, right? Like this is determined and jointly agreed upon for this campaign. We're doing this. We're doing this. Here's what we can expect from each other, and it's all documented. Um, so it's not me dictating to our sales colleagues. You must do this. It is, you know, here's what I'm bringing to the table. Here's what you are. And here's how they complement each other. Yeah, you said something interesting. Like the sales group's like, well, what's marketing doing? And so I would expect the sales leadership to be like, you know, this is our expectation of like, you get paid a salary and you get a salary because these are the expectations that you're running. And oh, by the way, marketing's doing a bunch of stuff on their side as well. But this is this is at least the expectation. So maybe writing it down, I, I, I get where you're com coming from. Cool. Thank you. Uh, in my experience, I've seen it where it kind of comes out of that friction between sales and marketing where sales says, you're not giving me any leads and marketing is saying, well, you're not following up on the leads I'm giving you. And so it ends up becoming something that gets written down just so they can, you know, it's, it's the whole marketing thinks they own all the leads until it becomes an opportunity kind of thing. If it doesn't become an opportunity, then it's the blame game, right? Turn that starts to blow out a little bit. The other thing I would say is, we're, I'm fortunate that I, it hasn't been as much of the blame game, Matt, though I totally understand where you're coming from. It's really been more about this first point, right? In that if we have something to point to, then we can get feedback from our sales team and evolve it, right? So like, let's say if the marketing outreach didn't do what it was supposed to do in regards to sales enablement, we want to know that, right? But how can they give us that feedback if we didn't start with an SLA, right? Where they could clearly see, here's everything that we're doing. How is it working? How can we be better? So it's, I am fortunate, like I say, that it hasn't been as much of the blame game so much as in service of doing that continuous improvement. Yeah, I was, I, I'm just going to say that in my experience, every time I had to put SLA working with the sales too, it was because of the lack of trust. It didn't, and, and it never really fully worked out because then we are in the minutiae of everybody just doing, trying to do their job. 
as opposed to the one team. And the more ABM-ish I've gone in my experience, I think those SLAs have fallen apart because it because you're working on the accounts that sales care about and, and there is no more of the follow-up on something that they don't care about. Um, but I think in bigger, like when I was at Salesforce, they had SLAs. So the bigger the organization, the complex the organization, the regional that you have to focus on, the, the segmented the information needs to be, the more products you have, all of those things add to the SLA part of it. And I think in those cases, I think what Kelly, you're saying totally makes sense. In most high growth or in companies, they don't need it uh, if they actually have the right right understanding of working on the right accounts and stuff. Yeah, Sangram, I think you're spot on. I think it is a it's a maturity level thing, like a, a mm -hmm. corporate maturity level. But I also think it's about the leadership. Like, you know, I come back to, I've been in places where like marketing and sales are butting heads. I'm in a place now where, you know, I just joined six weeks ago. And the reality is I'm, you know, I talk to marketing probably on a daily basis. Me and the CMO are on the phone all the time. And it's not just like, you know, I'm implementing something on like a top 50 accounts that then we align to their outreach because at the end of the day, if I, if I, like we're going after fortune 500 companies. So if we don't align and we're not doing an ABM or I, I like to talk about an ABS, like an account-based selling model, right. right? Cause the reality is the salespeople have to have responsibility as well. I think what's broken in some of these models is that we haven't, we haven't put enough responsibility on the salespeople to actually generate some of these leads and, and once they have responsibility to actually generate some of these leads, then they're going to get off the marketing's head and they're going to realize like it's not as easy as just generating leads. I think you guys bring up two really good points. So one, I loved the maturity comment, right? Because I will say our SLAs have evolved over time. Stuff that we had to write down five years ago, we don't have to, right? Because we have evolved past it. So I think that's a really good point. They don't have to look the same. They shouldn't look the same year over year. But it will also use that kind of to pivot over to data because there's emotion behind this, right? And there's there could be trust, there could be blame. To me, data is the great equalizer. So it's fantastic when it comes to adoption. I call out the C-suite because I think that's part of that leadership gap where marketing can step into. So I want to encourage people to do that. But it really does drive alignment. It helps to remove the emotion, right? Because we're all in service to the same funnel, right? And if we can align on the data, then the rest is just strategy. And it also enables resource management. So sales is expensive, right? And so I do talk to my sales counterpart around what are we looking to do and what's the best way to do it? And if it's on your side, I'm in your corner. If it's on my side, please be in mind and let's talk about how we can structure our joint teams, not any one department, but joint teams to go after it. And it empowers risk-taking, right? If you've got data that you believe in, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to take some of those big swings. From an engagement standpoint, I think we've talked about this as well. So the concept of process justice um, is something they talk about in Blue Ocean, but that's basically having people buy in. And that's really where I go with some of the SLA comments as well, right? If everybody was a part of deciding how we're gonna go to market, then it does remove some of those trust issues because we develop this together. Feedback cannot be passive, right? We've got to really have people engage and engage on a proactive basis. And trust, right? Trust is key. Trust is the bottom line to all of this. 
Kelly, I have a quick question. I, I always invite marketing to any sales call, discovery call, conversation, because there is, you know, there can be this finger pointing. I hardly get marketing to come join calls. Now, my current company, the SDR team rolls into marketing. So there's a natural feedback loop. So mm. that's fine. But I've been in places where, you know, I'll say this lead, you know, there, there's no opportunity here. And they say, well, it's a great opportunity. It's a great customer, whatever they say. I'm like, well, either you can listen to the recording or you can come to any call that I have. And you tell me if you think it's a lead like, or, or an opportunity. I just find that many times marketing won't even take take me up on it. So your your marketing, your marketing yeah, group. Yeah. <laughs> Not all marketing. Let's, yeah. be, let's be careful there because I think that's a blessing. No, yeah, my marketing. Yeah. Like to people that I've asked in my, in my that's career. A be- that, that's a that's a real treat. I was thinking the same thing. Gosh, like my heart broke a little bit. I was like, man, like that's the holy grail, right? When there's so much trust that you would feel comfortable and you want your colleague to sit on these calls with you knowing that they're not going to be judgmental, right? That it's in service of this greater strategy. So I think that's more of a cultural issue than anything. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I did want to underscore about engagement before we move on is if you're waiting for your data or your process to be perfect, you are going to be waiting for the rest of your lives, right? Like that's never going to happen. You have to use what you have and constantly evolve it but you cannot wait for everything to be perfect. And it's, I think, part of that buy-in process and coaching and trust process so that everybody understands that, right? That we are committed to making it as close to perfect as we can get, and we're never going to let up, but we also have to start using what we have today and let's align around that. So I have specific tactics for each one of these that I can go through fairly quickly Obviously, amend these for what would make sense for your departments and your companies, but these are some very specific things that we have done within Taconic and in previous work that have made truly the biggest difference. So we have a sales product marketing meeting on a defined cadence. We do this for real-time information sharing to enable that feedback loop. We provide continuous learning on concepts new and old that creates not just a go-to-market plan, but really a go-to-market culture, which is really lovely. And so what does that meeting look like? For us, it is a bi-weekly schedule. So every Friday at 10 o'clock, I did it this morning, every Friday at 10 a.m., we alternate between one structured, very agenda-driven meeting and one free form. So why do we do that? One, it ensures time for everybody to get together And just to give you guys a a sense of scale, if everybody showed up to this meeting, we would have well over 100 people. That's how committed we are, is we want to pull everybody into these meetings. They They are your gospel, right? If you want to know something, it is on this meeting. And think like a marketer, right? So things like talking points, infographics, highlighting what's in it for them. That's also kind of where documentation and SLAs come into play. We want people to buy in. We want them to be excited. We want them to feel empowered and trust the process that we put into place. But if all of your documentation is like on a Word doc in Times New Roman, right? I don't know. How how much are people going to buy in versus if this is a branded corporate document, this is our go-to market document, it brings some weight to it, right? So I would encourage people really think like a marketer when you're creating this documentation. 
and act like an agency. So this is something that we actually are talking a lot about now at our company. So here we are, we've been, I've been there five years and a lot of the team is kind of at a similar life cycle. We know and respect our colleagues. We've worked together for years. It's easy to let process slip. Like, oh, Sangram, you wanna launch that product? Great, just tell me a little bit about it and I'll make it all happen because we worked together for years and years. No, right? Like hold yourself to process, work through documents, document it, don't skip steps and you'll be all the better for it. And this is the logo that we have. So our meeting is literally called Sparketing. It is cheesy and fun and silly. But you know what? Everybody in our company, and there's 800 of us, they know what sparketing is. Oh, did you say, say that in sparketing? Gosh, if it's not on sparketing, it doesn't exist. Like this is the culture that we've created around this meeting. And yes, there's a little firecracker in there because we're going to light it up on sparketing. But this is what I mean. Think like a marketer, right? Create excitement around this stuff. From a data standpoint, found a data governance team. So if you've got data issues, large or small, or maybe you've got perfect data, I would love to meet you and you can tell me how you did it. If there's any gap, fill it. So I founded a data governance team a couple of years ago, and it's a cross-sectional group of anybody who touches our data to review current state, ideas for better state, and make it happen. And we have made some really big things happen and stuff that's certainly at the attention of the executive level. We've pushed data up to the executive level that actually has impacted corporate strategy. Formalize your rules of engagement. And for us, this really meant how we interact with our CRM, but I would say that this is probably true maybe outside of CRM as well. If you want people to behave a certain way, and if they're not doing it, and you've said it five times and it hasn't changed, who's at fault? And I would say we were definitely guilty of this where we were like, you got to put data in Salesforce like this. You're doing it wrong. And after a while, it's like, well, where is this written, right? Like, how can we hold people accountable to something if it isn't documented? So document how you want people to behave. It's not draconian. It's so that everybody has a common sense of understanding. And honestly, our sales team loved it because they're like, thank you. Stop yelling at me. Just tell me what you want from me. And so we did. You got to create a common language, right? You cannot have marketing jargon and sales jargon. We are a very jargon heavy department, right? Like we just are, we love our acronyms. Everybody needs to buy into what are your funnel stage definitions, your metrics that you're going to track, ICP and things similar. Everybody has to understand what that means. And it can't be different for each of the departments. So having a great data stack is not the same as having a strategy. And I would say this is something that's been interesting for us to navigate on our side. I think we've got a really elegant stack, but it is not the same as everybody buying into how we use it, right? So make sure you take that extra step and make sure you pull cross-departmental metrics, right? So things like acquisition cost and lifetime value, things that everybody can rally behind, things that will be very meaningful at the executive level. Those are some of the biggest equalizers and things that people get most fired up about. And to the comment earlier about those big revolutionary big swings, these are the types of things, at least in my experience, that have led to those bigger swing conversations. All right, this last one might sound silly, but I'm telling you, you got to find someone who's going to go into the weeds with you because you're going to start talking about stuff that like most people are just going to glaze over. And that's fine. You don't need everybody in the weeds, but you do need a champion from other departments who's going to care enough about this stuff 
to go into the weeds with you and then advocate on behalf of their department. So I've got counterparts in sales that, God bless them, I pulled them into the weeds and they're in it up to their neck, but that's how we've really been able to move the needle. And all of this creates value both for your customer and your CEO. So from an engagement standpoint, we've said this many times, documentation is key. You can't evolve what you can't put your finger on. You can't get to future state if you're not even sure what your current state is. I think this is a big one, right? People get so excited to evolve and they all want to jump to the future state. But how can you possibly do that if you don't even know what you're doing today? So this one probably requires maybe a little bit of explanation. So people will stop engaging if you ask them esoteric questions. We were definitely guilty of this. Like, sales, what do you need from us? Like, what the heck question is that, right? Like, you need to have enough process in place that you can ask questions that are pointed enough that you get actionable answers, right? Like, how's this content performing? What do you need at this funnel stage? And again, it goes back to that documentation. Find your champions, right? It can't just be marketing. You've got to find your champions in your other departments. And then think like a marketer. Make people want to engage. All right, so I'm looking at the clock. I'm being mindful of time. Have to have a CTA. You guys can't go without it. So get excited. This is a massive opportunity. I think the digital revolution has democratized a lot of the go-to-market strategy. So being competitive is critical. We talk about this all the time. And this is us. This is our opportunity to not just lead strategy, but lead strategy evolution and execution through those actionable steps that we talked about. And structure is inherent to marketing as a discipline. This is our superpower. So let's leverage it because we have the best job in the world. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.